share God's word together. Um, during the month of December, I've been going through a series. Took a book. We've been going through the book of Acts, and we're going to re- resume that here in a couple weeks. Um, but been going through a four-week series on the Word of God, and, um, and the, the title of the series is The Bible, God's Word. My, one of my more creative titles, I think. Um, but uh, during the series, we've been answering this question, why do we hold the Bible in such high regard? Why do we think so much of the Bible? And, and, and not only that, if, if, since we do, why do we read it like Chuck just did? Why do we take the time to read God's Word aloud? Well, why do we read it personally? Why do we encourage people to read it personally every day through their abide readings? Well, why do we do that? Why do we memorize it? Why do we listen to it? Why do we talk about it? Why do we meditate on it? Why do we study it in all of our life groups and here on Sunday morning? Why do we preach it? Some of you may think it's just because you can have something, so I can have something to do. No, it's way more important than that. All right, I got plenty to do, but I, I love doing that. But why do we do that? Well, <clears throat> we've been answering that question. Why do we hold it in high regard? Why do we do all those things and encourage you to do that? Well, the first week of this little mini-series, we answered the question why we hold the Bible in such high regard. With the Bible, God's Word is true. It's true. It's perfect. It's pure in every way. That's part of the answer of why we hold it in such high regard. Uh, Second week, we answered that why question. With the Bible, God's Word is reliable. What do I mean by that? Well, the copy that you have in your hand, the English translation that you have in your hand, you may have another translation, I don't know, but some English translation probably you have in your hand, is reliable. And it's important because if God's Word is true, we want to make sure we have a reliable translation of the originals, the New Testament, the Greek, and the Old Testament, and 95% in Hebrew, a little bit of Aramaic. That was the originals written in that. But do we have a reliable translation? We showed, I showed, be able to show you, yes, we do. You can trust that this is reliable. It's a copy of God's Word. And then last week, we answered the why question, why we hold it in such high regard and encourage you to do all these things with God's Word is sufficient for salvation. Sufficient for salvation. It's all we need to hear about and learn about God's gift of salvation, being rescued from sin. And this week, we're going to be dealing with the second kind of half of that sufficient part. God's word is sufficient for sanctification. All right? God's word is sufficient for sanctification. And, and just to, to give you a flavor of how sufficient it is for sanctification, I want to read a passage. We're not, even gonna, we're not going to go back and study it. We've got three more passages we're going to study this morning, but just read it so you can hear, without any comment, how sufficient God's word is for sanctification. Listen or you can turn there with me if you'd like in Psalm 19, Psalm 19, verses 7 through 14. Psalm 19, verses 7 through 14. <clears throat> the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold, sweeter than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Acquit me of hidden faults. Also keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, and I shall be acquitted of great transgression. 
Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let's pray. Lord, my prayer is this morning, even as David here at the end of this psalm, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and redeemer. And may you, by your grace, open our hearts and minds to see that your word is sufficient for our sanctification. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, um, as we focus on, our focus this morning is God's word is sufficient for sanctification. Let me do what I did last week. Let me define some words. All right, let's define some words. Let's define the word, first of all, sanctification. Oh, yes, what a wonderful word. And many people are going, yeah, what in the world does that mean? I hear it a lot, and they talk about a lot at church, this word sanctification. And maybe some of us even think, oh, yeah, I know what that means. But do we? And we shouldn't take for granted that we understand these words. Now, again, as I said last week, the word salvation, we use that word a lot, and we should. It's the main message of the Bible. And the word sanctification, we should use it. We shouldn't throw words off just because we don't know what it means. We should define them because they're biblical words. And sanctification is talked about a lot in the Scripture. So we need to understand what is sanctification, how you define the word sanctification. Um, The word sanctify, which is the root word there, means to make holy. To make holy. And, and the word is generally used in two different major ways in the Bible to deal with two different aspects of sanctification or the word sanctified, to be holy. Um, and you, you see both of these ways, major ways, used in the same chapter in Hebrews chapter 10. And I'm going to show those to you. This is very helpful. The first one we see here in Hebrews 10.10. By this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. All right, now notice that. It says have been sanctified. What, or it says have been made holy in some translations because the word to be sanctified is to be holy, right? What's the definition of sanctify? Help me, to be holy, all right? To be holy, all right? So some translations will say have been made holy, all right? Now, what in the, in, in the English, you can even help me with this, what is the tense of that? Have been sanctified, have been made holy. What is it? Past tense. Now, in the Greek, there's another <coughs> um, tense uh, it called perfect tense, all right? Which is even stronger than just past tense. An aorist tense in the Greek is kind of like our, equal to our past. There's a perfect tense which goes beyond that. So this is a, you could say it's a perfect past tense. It's actually just perfect. What does that mean? It's a past action. All right. It's a completed action. Okay. It's, it's, it's happened. It won't change. It won't get any better. It won't get any worse. I mean, this is as complete as possible again, possibly can be, with the resulting state of being. Meaning this. It happened. It's not going to get, it's as it's, it's complete as possible. And it has impact forever. So it happened here, but its impact goes on and on and on and on. It never changes. Do you all see that? This is in the perfect, have been sanctified. Have been, listen, made holy. Past tense, perfect. All right, past tense, completed action, resulting state of being forever. When did that happen in our life, if you're in Christ? When you turn from trusting yourself... And trusted in what the Lord Jesus Christ did for you. At that moment, you were 
You could say we saved, right? We were saved from the penalty of our sin, right? But also, it's, we'll look at this in a second, that was justified in the sense, not guilty. But we also sanctified. There's an aspect of sanctification that has already happened. If you're a believer, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, it's already happened. It, 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 it will never change. You'll always be holy in Christ. Now, we're holy because he's holy and he lives in us. So there's an aspect that we have been sanctified. It'll never change. That's great news, right? We're holy. So it's, it's right for me to, 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 to look at Danny and say, Danny, you're holy. And you're thinking, I know Danny. Come on. Well, we say Melissa's holy. Well, okay, maybe. Or, uh, all right. Miss Dorothy's holy. Well, okay. All right. Mr. Gerald's holy. They've been living 90 years. Surely they're holy, right? You know what? They are holy. And they're, in this sense, as holy as they'll ever get because they're in Christ. I'm holy. That's kind of boastful, isn't it? Why does Paul say this? He writes, he says, to the saints at Philippi. You know what the word saints is? It comes from the same Greek word, to the holy ones at Philippi. He calls them holy. He even calls the church at Corinth holy. He calls them saints. Did you, have you ever read 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians? They weren't holy, were they? Well, they were. In one sense, in this sense, they were set apart by God and made holy because Christ lived in them. That's important for us to know. So there's that aspect of sanctification, all right? We have been sanctified. Now, in the very same chapter, just a few verses later, look what it says. For by one offering, he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. Now, I'm going to have to, I, I usually, I use the numeric standard. It's a great translation, all right? As our English, I'm going to have to pick on the uh, um, New American standard here. Um, it, it's misleading a little bit. In context, you can see this. And if you go look up what tense the word sanctified is here, you'll find out this. The other translations say, those who are being made holy. Those who are being sanctified. What tense is that? Present. Present tense. Hold on, we just said we've been sanctified past present. A past perfect, alright? It's a done deal. And it's going to result forever. Result forever. You will always be holy in Christ. But this says we are being sanctified. Is there a contradiction here? No, it's speaking of another type of sanctification. Alright? We are being sanctified. We are being made holy. What in our experience, what in our life is being made holy? Not our person, not the spirit that lives in us. Because the Holy Spirit lives in us. We are being made holy, listen, in our attitudes, in our thoughts, and in our actions, in our behavior. That's what's being made holy. Now, so when I say Danny's holy in this sense, we say, well, it's a process in Danny. Yeah, it's a process in you too. If you're, I'm picking on poor Danny today because he's sitting right here, right? So, but, so, so and you're in, we're in the process of being made holy. Our thoughts, our actions, our attitudes are being made holy. Here's where we are in Christ, and this is what he's doing with our actions and attitudes and our thoughts. He's lining it up with who he's made us into in Christ. All right? That, that, that done deal, this is not done. And we all know that, don't we? This is a, this is a, and this is why we call it, listen, pro, progressive sanctification. It's a progress. It, it's a process. Progressive sanctification. And sometimes it's kind of like this, right? But in the end... When the Lord does come back and he reigns as king, it'll all be lined up perfectly. We not only will be holy in our person because Christ lives in us, we'll be holy in our behavior, in our thoughts, in our attitudes. Isn't that great news? 
I can't wait for that day. Because I'm not on, the, on, on an experience level here. I'm, on, I'm here. And I'm trusting God to progressively, as He promises, to make me holy in my behavior and thoughts and actions. So we're going to deal with that second aspect this morning, the progressive sanctification. So when I say that God's Word is sufficient for sanctification, it's both. But this morning we're talking about that process of being made holy in our thoughts and behavior. Does that help? Defining those words. If we're, I'm not going to have you raise your hand. But my guess is many of us have heard that word sanctified and never really understood what in the world does that mean. It sounds really important, right? It sounds holy. It is holy because it, it means to be holy. All right? But it, it, that's what it means. Now, the other word we, we talked about last week is sufficient. All right? The word sufficient. Uh, it, it's enough to meet the needs of the situation. Providing all that is needed. All right? So, in our context this morning, all right, we're, we're asking what is needed or what is enough that is needed for sanctification to, to make us holy. In, in, in our experience. What's sufficient for, for progressive sanctification? What is sufficient for our actions, actions, attitudes, and thoughts to be made more like Christ? The Bible teaches this. God's word is sufficient for sanctification. It's all we need to make us more like Jesus. Now, I understand, and please, this is a given, the Holy Spirit is using his word, right, to, ha to make this happen. I understand that. We can't this won't happen without the Holy Spirit. But this is the tool, in a sense, that God uses to make us more like Jesus. It's all we need to grow in overcoming the power of sin in our life. Uh, listen just briefly uh, um, about a man who understood the truth that God's Word is sufficient for sanctification. If you've been here very long, I've used this illustration before, but it's just a great illustration of someone who understands that God's Word is sufficient for sanctification and therefore they can't get enough of it. A man in Kansas City was severely injured in an explosion. Evangelist Robert Sumner tells about him in his book, The Wonders of the Word of God. The victim's face was badly disfigured, and he lost his eyesight as well as both hands. He was just a new Christian, and one of his greatest disappointments that he could ne no longer read the Bible. Then he heard about a lady in England who read Braille with her lips. Hoping to do the same, he sent for some books of the Bible in Braille. Much to his dismay, however, he discovered that the nerve endings in his lips had been destroyed by the explosion. One day, as he brought one of the braille pages to his lips, his tongue happened to touch a few of the raised characters, and he could feel them. Like a flash, he thought, I can read the Bible using my tongue. And at the time Robert Sumner wrote his book, the man had read through the entire Bible four times with his tongue. This man believed that God's word was sufficient for sanctification. So what did he do? He did all he could possible to get his word into him. To take in his word as much as he could with his tongue. I can't imagine how long it would take him to read the Bible with his tongue. He understood the importance of the word of God to make him more like Jesus. So he did all he could to take it in. Do you believe that God's word is sufficient for sanctification this morning? You don't have to answer me right now. I hope you do. And if not, I pray that at the end of our time together this morning, you will be like this blind man, earnestly taking in God's word as much as you possibly can, through as many means as you possibly can, so that you too will be progressively sanctified, made more holy, made more like Jesus. 
So let's look at what the Bible has to say about God's word being sufficient for sanctification. This morning, I'm going to do the same thing I did last week. I'm going to have us look. Last week was five different passages, three different passages this week, a little bit different than what I normally do, which is just to take a passage of Scripture and work down through it verse by verse, word for word, which I'm doing in Acts. But this morning, I want to again give us a little bit of an overview. And we're going to look at these three different passages of Scripture and explain briefly what each of them has to do with this, this, this thought, God's Word is sufficient for sanctification or progressive sanctification. So I'm going to look at them again in order they come in. The in the New Testament, first one, John 17. You can turn to John 17 if you want. I'll pull it up here if you don't have a copy of God's Word this morning, which I encourage always to bring that with you. Uh, but John 17, 17 says this, Sanctify them in the truth. Your Word is truth. Now let me give you a context here, because context is huge, all right, to understanding God's Word. And I didn't have time to teach all through John 17. When I taught through the Gospel of John, I spent four weeks in John 17. You don't want me to do that this morning. All right, you don't have time. But let me just bring you up to what's happening. This is Jesus' high priestly prayer. He's praying to the Father, all right, praying to the Father. And in particular, in this part of it, he's praying for the apostles, all right, those uh, men who walked with him. At this point, minus Judas, the 11 apostles he's praying for. Um, and he's asking the Father to make the attitudes and actions and thoughts of the apostles more holy. And he's saying, do this through your word. Look what he says, sanctify them, make them holy in the truth. Your word is truth. Now listen to this. Jesus promised earlier that when the Holy Spirit came that he would lead here's what it says and he will lead you into all truth who's the you that Jesus was speaking to he's speaking to the original disciples to what we know as the apostles the, the called out ones that would take the message of God to the world he said he will lead you into all truth and guess what we have a copy of that all truth contain the 27 books of the New Testament were considered scripture and God's word as we saw three weeks ago just like the Old Testament it was God's word and he would lead them and all who would follow them into all truth and through that all truth 66 books of the Bible he uses that and would use it in their life and in ours to make us more like Jesus to make us more holy to sanctify them in the truth your word is truth. In practical terms, I love what D.A. Carson says here. He says, in practical terms, no one can be sanctified or set apart for the Lord's use without learning to think God's thoughts after him, without learning to live in conformity with the word he has graciously given. If Jesus says it's through God's word that we are sanctified, guess what? I'm going with Jesus. Every time. Every time. I believe it because Jesus said it and he says, this is how they'll be sanctified. He prays the Father. Now let me ask the question. Did any time that Jesus, all right, when he prayed to the Father, were any, did, did God ever tell him, no, God never answered his prayer? He always answered his prayer. Even he said, not my will, but your will be done. Lord, if you can make this, pass, cup, this cup pass for me, I'd love that that for happened. I don't want to die. But he knew he had to. He says, okay, not my will, but your will be done. And the Father always listened to prayer. And this is how God chose to sanctify people, to make them more holy. 
And it's clear here from John 17 that God's word is sufficient for sanctification. Now, if you want to turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3, further over to the right, um, verses 16 and 17. And again, if you're looking for that, and if you're new to looking at God's Word, as I mentioned last week, all the T's are together in the New Testament, 1 Thessalonians, 1 Timothy, and Titus. And that's how I remember them. All the T's are together. I'm not real smart, okay? So this little thing's helped me. This go, you know, the, the whole thing, go eat popcorn, Genesis, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, that's how I remember that too. If that's how you remember it, great. But help you find where this is in your, in your Bible. 2 Timothy 3, 16, and 17. Now you know what I understand. Everybody's got electronic devices now, so you just poke on the thing, and it comes up right where you want to. But those who might have a hard copy, um, that may be helpful for you. Well, 2 Timothy 3, 16, and 17 says this. Um, All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Now, we dealt with the first part of that verse um, back at the beginning of our series that God's Word is true, that all Scripture is inspired by God. Your translation may rightfully say, breathed out by God. The source of all Scripture is God. And that's why it's true, because it's His Word, and therefore God cannot lie. It must be true. We dealt with that um, then. But we're going to be dealing with the rest of this passage here this morning. Notice in verse 16 the word profitable. Your translation may say useful. It means to be helpful, to be beneficial, to be advantageous. Okay, so, so the, the Word of God is profitable, all right, helpful, um, and it yields practical benefit, and that benefit is progressive sanctification. It makes us more holy in our experience, in our thoughts and actions and attitudes. It, how is it profitable, and how does it yield this practical benefit? Let's look. We'll just, we'll just break this verse down. Uh, verse 16 spells it out, the benefits of Scripture. The first practical benefit in Scripture is described by the word teaching. Um, instruction in the truths of God. Some of your translations may say doctrine. Now, I, well, I'll ask this question, or you can raise your hand. How many of you have ever heard someone say, oh, doctrine's bad? I'm the only one. Everybody said, has anybody ever heard anybody say, doctrine is bad? I have. I've heard lots of people, oh, doctrine, we shouldn't talk about doctrine. That doctrine divides. You ever heard that? It's bad. You don't want to talk about doctrine. It just means teaching. I mean, how in the world are we going to know anything if we don't know doctrine? It means to teach what we believe. Everybody has a doctrine. Now, either from the Word of God or not. But everybody has a doctrine. Doctrine is not wrong. Teaching is not wrong. So when you see that word, it's not a bad word. It's a great word. In fact, we can't understand anything without doctrine, without teaching. And Paul addresses doctrine 15 times in the pastoral epistles. 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus. So it's obviously important, isn't it? Teaching. So it's profitable for teaching to, to learn truths about who God is. All right, second benefit you see there is reproof, or your translation may say rebuke. It's refuting error or rebuking sin. In 1 Timothy 1, 3, Timothy was told to reprove false doctrine. When you hear something that's not right, you can't just go on and act like it doesn't exist. All right? And now, now, now here's what I want to challenge us on. Not just in other people, but in you. That's what the Scripture does. You ever been reading along and you go, oh, man... And you're trying to hide, like Adam tried to hide in the garden. 
And it's impossible to hide from God's word. Because it's reproving you. Because you see something in your life that's wrong. It happens when you read the word of God. So I encourage you to read the word of God this year. Okay? It will reprove you. Um, wrong doctrine will lead to wrong living. When we have a misunderstanding about God's word, it will show up in our life. And as we're exposed to the truth in Scripture, it will expose what is not right so that things can be changed. And here's the next word, the next benefit is correction. Restoring something to an upright state. An improvement, a restoration. The same word is used when, um, about the lame man. It says he was crooked. The lame was crooked, all right? And, and, and he was restored, okay? He was corrected. He was healed, and it straightened him up. And same with us spiritually. As we read the word of God, we're convicted of sin, and, we, and, and, and the acts of sin even, and the word of God corrects that. It straightens us up. It brings healing to us spiritually. Uh, this is similar to lifting weights, all right? If you're ever lifting weights, and okay, I know a lot of you, like one of your New Year's resolutions is going to be, oh, I've got to get in better shape. So you're going to show up on January the 2nd when the gym opens, and you're going to just go after it. Now, some of you are, that are older, like you were when you're 16, you're going to go after it. And so the next three months, you're going to be sore and never show back up again, okay? But what happens there, and, and we don't repair as quickly as possible, what happens is when we are lifting weights or trying to, to get in better shape, it tears the muscle down first, and then in order to help repair that, lactic acid builds up. We need protein to help repair that to build the muscle. So no pain, no gain is really truthful in some ways. Uh, but this is what happens. The Word of God rebukes us so it can correct us. So it can make us grow and get in better shape spiritually. The fourth practical benefit described here is that you see the word training in righteousness. And the word training can have the meaning of training up a child or just training in general. Uh, it's the train that leads to righteous thought and speech and behavior and attitude. Uh, John Stott, I like this, says the first pair, teaching and reproof, deal with belief, and the second pair, correction and training, deal with action. All right? The first pair, teaching and reproof, deal with belief, and the second pair, correcting and training, deal with action. Now, I would say it this way because you know how I like things that go together. So I would say attitudes and actions. There's two A's. I can remember that a little bit better. So the first two deal with our attitudes. And the last two deal with our actions. Whether it be verbally or um, uh, physically. And when we expose ourselves to the teaching, reproving, correcting, training in righteousness that the Word of God brings, here's what happens. We experience this word that we use all the time, progressive sanctification. That's what happens when we expose ourselves to God's word. And, and notice the result of the sanctification in verse 17. Look there with me. So that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. The word adequate, equipped, it, it's, it's able to meet all demands. How about this? It's sufficient. Able to meet all demands. The word of God, all demands. And, 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 and notice, all right, for every good work, not just some, not even, not even most, but every good work. It's sufficient to progressively sanctify us into maturity as we get into God's word and then are enabled and empowered to do every good work for God because he's in us and he's for us. 
So it is therefore clear from this passage in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 that God's word is sufficient for sanctification. Now one more passage, last passage. 1 Peter, all right? 1 Peter 2, 2. 1 Peter 2, 2. If you'd like to turn there, you can do that. If not, I'll bring it up here for you. Um, but we dealt, dealt with... Uh, this passage last week as we were talking about the word of God is sufficient for salvation. We saw that in chapter 1 verse 23. For you have been born again not of seed which is perishable but imperishable that is through the living and enduring word of God. So it's sufficient for salvation but it's also sufficient for sanctification to make us more holy progressively. So you look here it says like newborn babes, babies long for the pure milk of the word so it may so it's, a, it's actually a command. Like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. Um, and then, uh, and then go in verse 3, it says, if you taste of the kindness of the Lord. But notice that, so that you may, by it you may grow in respect to salvation. Remember that the term salvation is a broad term. Okay, here's what I mean by that. Saved, or the word rescued, okay, is what it means is we're rescued from something, okay? There's justification, right? We are saved or we have been saved from the penalty of sin, okay? There's sanctification, the progressive type. We are being saved from the power of sin. And then there's glorification. We will be saved from the presence of sin. So we have been saved from the penalty of sin. We are being saved from the power of sin. We will be saved from the presence of sin. Which one is this in 1 Timothy, 1 Peter 2.2? 2. So that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. Which one of these saves? Have been, are, or will be? It's are. We are being saved from the power of sin on a daily basis. You can't grow in the other two. You can't grow in being saved from the penalty of sin, and you can't grow in being saved from the presence of sin. That'll be a one-time act. This was a one-time act. This is an ongoing process. So we be, this, this, this growth in respect to salvation is progressive sanctification. It, um, let's now look at one other thing concerning this growth. Look at the, the, the word grow. You really can't see it here in English, but it's a verb, and it's in the passive voice. It's passive. A verb that is passive. Most of the time, and when I talk to men, I always say, don't be passive. All right? We shouldn't be passive as men. But this is, this is and then that means there's got to be action. But this is actually a passive verb, which is really good. I promise you it's good. Here's what it means. You're not the one doing this. Something is acting upon you. So, so you may grow in respect to salvation. It comes from the pure milk of the word. So we don't make ourselves grow by gritting our teeth and trying harder and doing another set in the, in, in, in the spiritual ben, on spiritual bench press. No. Here's what happens. We take in the word and God actively, we're, not, we're passive in this. We don't grow ourselves. He actively grows us as the word is brought into our life. That's great news. It's not about intellect. It's not about you just being, I'm, I'm, you know what, I'm just going to, I'm going to obey God's word this year. I'm making a resolution. I'm going to obey God's word. And as soon as you walk out of here, you'll disobey. Because you can't do it. I can't do it. He has to work in us. He's the one who grows us in respect to salvation through his word. So progressive sanctification or growth as a Christian will not come apart from the word of God. If you want to grow as a Christian, you will not do it without this. 
It won't happen. It will ne- it's never happened. It will never happen apart from His Word. Loving God more and walking in the joy of His commands will not come apart from the Word of God. Husbands, if you're going to love your wives like Christ loved the church, which you're commanded to do, first of all, it's impossible, isn't it? Think about that. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for it. Who's doing really good? Who's perfect in that? Raise your hand. You're lying if you are raising your hand. You kidding me? That's an impossible thing to love your wife like Christ loved the church and give yourself up for her. But here's what happens. You progressively become better at that as God's word gets into you. And ladies, if you're going to grow in, the res- in, in loving and respecting your husband and following his loving God-led leadership in your life, it's not going to happen apart from God's word. First of all, that's impossible too because we're idiots sometimes. All right, it's hard to follow us. I understand it's hard to respect us sometimes because we make stupid mistakes. We do that. Guys do that, right, guys? Shake your head, yeah, okay. You want to go home in peace, all right? So, all right, so yeah, that, yeah, it's hard. But ladies, if you're going to do that because you're called to do that, to love and respect and honor your husband as he follows Christ, it's only going to happen as the word of God gets into you and he uses to grow you to be better at that. Parents, Children, employees, employers, friends, if you're going to know the joy of walking in obedience to God, you must daily take in the Word of God. Now, we all know if we're going to grow and function properly physically, what has to happen? You have to take in nutrition daily. You just take it in daily. That's how we properly grow. And when we don't, we don't properly grow. It's amazing. I have a little nephew, Levi, from Ethiopia. It's amazing what happened when they brought him here to the States, to his body. As daily, he got, over a prolonged period of time, proper nutrition for the very first time. That little kid just sprouted up like, it's unbelievable. It's like miracle Grow. if you all remember that. Chia Pet, if you all remember that, all right? I'm really dating myself, right? I mean, it was unbelievable to watch the pictures of my little nephew, Levi, grow because he took in proper nutrition every single day. He grew. Just physically even more important spiritually. I think about the Israelites. What did God rain down from heaven for them on a daily basis? It came as up on the ground. What was it called? Manna. And the word manna means what is it? <laughs> what is that? That's exactly what they ask, all right? And he did it. He did it. And they could do what? They could go out each day and gather enough, right, for the, their families. But there was one day, or on, the, on the sixth day, they couldn't. And they, they could, didn't they, they get they gather enough for that day, but also for the next day because it was the Sabbath. So they gathered enough for two days. All right? But what would happen if you had some left over for the next day, if you took more than you're supposed to? Spoiled, right? You see, some people are living off yesterday's manna. They take in the Word of God maybe once a week, and they think, well, I'll just keep living off all that all week. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. God wants us taken in every single day. That's the proper way to do it. The proper way to go. To take a little bit every single day. Not gorge. That's never good. Even on Christmas. Alright? And it, um, Well, many of us may remember a song. Again, this is going to da- date me. But I've never seen a song that more aptly um, teaches this truth and also makes fun as well. as a song in the 1980s. Um, Okay, some of you are just going to have to bring it up to speed, all right? The 1980s, um, by, it was sung by Amy Grant called Fat Baby, all right? And the words were this. Maybe you know him. 
maybe uh, I know a man, maybe you know him too. You can never tell he might even be you. He knelt at the altar and that was the end. He saved and that's all that matters to him. His spiritual tummy, it can't take too much. One day a week, he gets his spiritual lunch. On Sunday, he puts on his spiritual best and gives his language a spiritual rest. And here's a chorus. He's just a fat little baby. He wants his bottle. And I don't mean baby. He sampled solid food once or twice, but he says doctrine leaves him cold as ice. He's been baptized, sanctified, redeemed by the blood, but his daily devotions are stuck in the mud. He knows the books of the Bible. In John 3.16, he's got the biggest King James you've ever seen. I've always wondered if he'll grow up someday. He's mama's boy, and he likes it that way. If you tell him, if you, if you happen to see him, tell him I said, he'll never grow if he never gets fed. He's just a fat little baby. He wants his bottle, and I don't mean maybe. He sampled solid food once or twice, but he says doctrine leaves him cold as ice. And the main message of that song is true because it lines up with the Bible. Growth, progressive sanctification will not happen without the intake consistently of God's word. It won't happen. We'll just be big, big fat babies sitting around, not growing. And I don't want you to be in that way. I don't want to be that way, in that state. So just from these three passages we've looked at this morning, in John and in First Timothy, Second Timothy, and then in First Peter, we can see that the Bible clearly teaches God's word is sufficient for sanctification. And I could show you a lot more. We don't have time this morning. It's clear. So since God's word is sufficient for sanctification, here, here's the action by the grace of God. Take in his word. Take in his word. If we're going to progressively grow as he wants us to grow, grow in being made more holy, lined up with who he's made us to be in our behavior, in our attitude, in our actions and thoughts and our speech, all those things, we got to take in the word of God. Now, this is the fourth time I've done that. If you've been here in, in one of these four times, and you remember, if you've been here all four weeks, maybe you remember this. Hold up your hand like this. All right. Some of y'all, if you're here first time, go ahead and hold up your hand because you won't, you won't be the only one doing it. All right. We start with, these are ways to take in the Word of God. The pinky stands for we hear the Word of God. The ring finger is we read the Word of God. All right. The middle finger is what? Study the Word of God. All right. The pointy finger is we memorize the Word of God. And the thumb is we meditate. So we hear, we read, we study we memorize, we meditate the Word of God. And when we do that on, on those things, look what happens. You put your hand on your Bible, then we have a firm grasp of God's Word. And not only do we have a firm grasp of God's Word, it has a firm grasp of us. And it begins to get into us. And it begins to change us and change our attitudes and our actions and our speech. Through His Word, that's the way He's made it. And, and we can hear the Word of God through it's a, coming here on Sunday morning. We can read it out loud in our homes. We can listen to our iPod, MP3, whatever it is. We can read it. Uh, one of the ways we're encouraging you to do that, we can, uh, at home, not only reading it here, but it's through our abide rings. Now, we're getting ready to finish up this year. We've got a few more days to finish up this year. Next year, on January, we're going to start all over. And we're going to read the first six months, all right, the New Testament. It's about a chapter, sometimes two chapters a day. Not much time, but we'll be in the Word every day. This is a hard copy. It's on our website as well. We got that fixed. We found a little error, but we got, we're going to get that fixed, all right? But it'll be on our website. You can actually lo- uh, download this onto your calendar, 
from ESV.org. If you want to do that onto your electrical calendar, it won't write it down on your hard copy, okay? But this is a, this is a like a uh, card stock. I, I keep this in my Bible. This is the New Testament in six months. It's got January 1st. There it is. Matthew 1 and 2. Right? That's what I read on January 1st. All right? So this is one of the things we're encouraging you to do, to abide together. In the second six months, we'll do an overview of the Old Testament again. Reading God's Word together. All right? And, and, and individually in our homes, and then we come together. We can study it. Right? We can study God's Word. We can get in and ask questions of the Word of God. And, and get together with other believers and study it and see how it applies to our life. We can do that, uh, obviously, in our life groups and men's ministry, children's ministry, women's ministry, one-to-one. We can also... Are we to memorize the Word of God? So out there, we're going to make something a lot nicer. I made this. Jared will make something a lot nicer. Okay? But I made this this morning just so we have them. It's also on our website. All 52 of these verses are on our website. Scroll down on the main page, click Abide Together, and you'll see all 52 verses. The first verse is Genesis 1-1. That's the first week. It's 52 weeks. All right? So we're going to have 52 verses. All right? Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What a great way to start. The next one is John 3-16. I mean, it's already have some of these memorized. But we're to memorize, meditate on these all week long and see what God does. And as I um, mentioned, there's an app called Fighter Verses that is great to have on your phone when you're memorizing Scripture. Also, with those 52 verses, if you want to, you can get this book called The Joshua Code by O.S. Hawkins, and it has a, a devotion on all 52 of those verses. All right, so if you're interested in looking at that, you can come up here and look at that as well. And then we meditate on it. And one of the ways that we can do that, um, a helpful way, is it kind of covers a lot of these, is something called REAP. Read, examine, apply, pray. Read the Word, examine it, apply it, and pray. And, and I have this out there in the front as well. More questions to ask as you do that. If you want to take a passage of Scripture, are you Matthew 1 and 2? You read it, all right? What's happening in the passage? What do you see about God? What do you see about yourself? Examine it. How do you think the author wants us to, his audience to respond? What do you learn about God's character here? What wrong beliefs about God do I have? How do I apply it? How do I need to repent? What truths do I need to believe? All right, and then we pray. God, change me. Use your word to make me more like Jesus. All right, so that's all out here on the front um, at, the connect, at the connection point. All right? I encourage you to pick up those resources so we can be in God's word. Well, I would be remiss um, to just stop right here because I understand if you don't know Christ, when you pick up his word, it's like reading someone else's mail. You have no idea what it's about. You have no idea what it's talking about. And there's a reason. Because the word of God says you won't understand his word apart from knowing the word who is Jesus, who came to do something we couldn't. And that, meets, that, meet, meet, and that is to meet God's holy standard, to be perfect in every way. And no one here is like that. No one's ever lived except for Jesus like that. And he says that the wages of our sin, not meeting his standard, is death, eternal separation from God in a place called hell. But he loved us so much that he sent his son, Jesus, to meet that standard and if we would turn from trusting in ourselves and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, he says he will forgive us of our sins. He will sanctify us. He will make us holy in Christ, which will last forever. And then he'll give us the power to overcome sin on a daily basis. If you've never done that, if you've never turned from trusting yourself for forgiveness of your sins, to be made right with God, I, I implore you on Christ's behalf to do that today. Turn from trusting in you and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
and then dig into his word and watch and just watch what happens in your life. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the word made flesh who dwelt among us and we beheld his glory as of the only begotten, full of grace and truth. We saw, our people saw your son. Um, we've read about it. We've experienced his glory in our own lives. Lord, we're thankful for that. And Lord, I pray for each person here, each person that's a member, regular, tender, visitor this morning, Lord, that they would dive into your word. And Lord, if they don't know you, Lord, they would trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. And for those in the grace, that, the part of grace that aren't here today, Lord, I also pray that you would um, encourage them to be in your word on a daily basis so they can truly fulfill all that you've called them to be and to do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.